from where Jacob left off, left uh, off last week. Can you bring up the slide, please? This is the word that we received, Hebridus 2.0. A purify, you know, why don't we read it out loud? A purifying fire from heaven that burns up religious and historical junk as the divine warrior marches, delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom, calling sons and daughters into that circle of dancing, abundance and joy. Before the lion and the lamp, a torch-bearing generation that goes forth and will not return empty. I'll read it once more. And this is the word we've been given. And Jacob, over the last couple of weeks, he touched on first two weeks ago, a purifying fire from heaven that burns up religious and historical junk. Last week, he talked about our father being a divine warrior, him being a jealous God. Jealous, but also zealous. And that if we are to become like him, we become zealous for his people and his purposes. Right? So then third, today, we'll touch on the third line here. Delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom. Delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom. I was thinking uh, yesterday, I think. I remember a time at Acts 29 five, six years ago, where for those of you guys who were here at that time, we were talking pretty often about how everything in life revolves around Christ and his church. And uh, I was reminded yesterday that today when you look at Acts 29, what was spoken and taught back in the day has become so much flesh. To a point where, frankly, I know those of you who have been here since then can rise up, talk for the next 15, 20 minutes without having to look at any notes because that word has become flesh in our lives. Is that true? Is it true? God releases words. He speaks things. We receive it. And when we receive it, man, we become what he's asking us to become. It becomes so much part of ourselves that it's not something we have to exert work for. It is so simple. It's fluid. It's who we are. We become that. I want us to look at this word that he has given us and recognize that in a few years' time, we will look back at this word that he gave us. And we are rallying around this right now because he is in our lives he is having us go through different times, different things, so that certain things are cemented in our lives. They are strong. This foundation has been laid, and he is putting the next brick on top of it. I want us to have that picture. I want us to think of our lives that way, because the master builder does that always. He's building something. He knows exactly what the end product is going to look like, and he's doing this brick by brick. And so the bricks that he has laid out, laid out the bricks that are already there on the structure, great. We build on top of it. So please look at this and take it in as a word. If you believe that this is from the Father, receive it as a word that you are to live. Because it's not a word that has been given to us for us to just memorize. It's a word that has been given to us for us to live and be part of. 
So a purifying fire from heaven that burns up religious and historical junk. Oh, he does that work in us first. Religious stuff in us is burned off. Historical junk in us is burned off. As the divine warrior marches, he's a zealous God, a jealous God. Father, help us to become a people who are zealous for your people. These things become part of our lives. And today, again, delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom. Delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10, it says, this is God speaking, God says, I know I can tell the future from now. I know exactly what's going to happen. I can declare the end from right now. He knows everything. The future is not hidden to him. 46.10, Isaiah 46.10 says, I will declare it. What is about to happen, I will declare it now. And exactly what I declare will come to pass. It actually goes on to say that I have plans, God says. And those plans that I have will be accomplished. And this word, on one hand, is for us to live. And on the other hand, it's for lives around us to be touched by. Because the plans that God has will be accomplished. When we read through the Bible, you see God speaking things. Today we have a lot of time, so I'll go slow. <laughs> I feel like we have a lot of time. The plans that God has are always accomplished. You see that in the scripture. He speaks things. No king can stand against it. People plan and plot against it. But all of those plans and plots will come to nothing. This is the God we serve. And so if he said these things, and this is why we have to also hold what we are receiving carefully, because if we just receive this, and we teach this, and we talk this, and we um, do studies around it, but we don't receive it to run with it, someone else will run with it. Because what he said will be accomplished. If there is one thing that I am so confident of today, it is this one thing, that our Father, right now, has many purposes that He wants to accomplish. But one key thing He wants to do on the face of earth is to deliver young men and women from nations into the kingdom. We've been talking about this perhaps for a little while. I know myself, you know, probably two, three months ago, I spoke about why it is that the young is important. Why is it that the Father has a heart for the young? It's not that He doesn't have a heart for people who are older. He has a heart for everyone. His son died for the sins of the world. Not, it doesn't say that my son died for the sins of the young. No, for everyone. Everyone is his people. Having said that, at times in the history of the world, he does certain things a certain way because he sees the end from the beginning. He sees what's about to happen. And he has his plans. And if we are able to tap into that, then we become partners in his mission. And I want us here to really think about this. That he is doing something with young men and women. And I've already told the Lord that, Abai, if this is the direction you're showing, my heart, I want to give towards this. 
It doesn't matter what my preferences are. It doesn't matter what my plans are. I want to align, change, order my steps with what you're showing. So we'll talk for a little bit more, but this is key, that we receive it and make it flesh. The word became flesh, John chapter 1. The word has to become flesh in us. And when we become and when, when the word becomes flesh in us, we are then able to take it and pass it on to others. He's a God of generations. And this divine warrior we talked about, and we talk about, he is going before and he cares about the generations to come. And I want to read one, Psalm 145 verse 4. Psalm 145 verse 4. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. One generation, us, let's say, shall commend your works to another. There is a generation that's coming. We, age doesn't matter. We will speak of his works, his deeds to another. The ones who are yet to come. The ones who are behind us. Read Psalm 102, verse 18. I, I really love this verse. Psalm 102, verse 18. Look at this. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That a people yet to be created, they haven't, they're not on earth yet. What he is doing on earth affects the lives and destinies of babies not born on earth just yet. The likes of Pavan's kid. I just had to throw that in. That's what we are after, guys. He has a plan. He has a plan. He cares. So can we tap into that? Because for me, it's, it's, it's important for us to not just listen to this week by week, but but for us to receive it and for us to posture ourselves a certain way and say, Father, if this is important for you, this is important for me. And I want to receive it. I want to live it. I want to practice it so that I can become someone who you can use to accomplish this. Now, the reason he shares these things. Hey, Mark. The reason he shares these things is because... He wants to carry his plan through us. And his assignment, so at any given time, if you look at the assignment given to the church, if you look at the assignment given to the body, it uncovers the heartbeat of heaven. God gives his assignments to the church today, to a people. You look at the assignments that are given to the people, and you can, by looking at it, understand what the heartbeat of heaven is. And so, again, this is one of the things that really is important for him. And we have to understand it that way. That it's not a, you know, weekly, you know, it's not a series. It's not. It's, it doesn't end after, you know, let's count it, four, five, six, six weeks, we forget it. No, this is part of what he is doing. And we have to have that excitement. We have to have that zeal to say, I want to jump right in. And I want to inherit all of this. In 1 Kings chapter 9, you don't have to read it, but if you want to write it down, 1 Kings chapter 9, 6 to 10. 
Jehu is anointed king. And when God anoints Jehu, he doesn't just anoint Jehu and say, okay, Jehu, you are king over Israel. He doesn't do that. He says, I anoint you king, and here is the assignment I'm giving you. Your assignment is that you need to destroy the house of Ahab. Your assignment is that you need to find Jezebel, and you know what will happen to her? Jezebel will be devoured by dogs, and on the plot of land at Jezreel, she'll be there. The assignment was given along with the anointing. He anointed Jehu, and he said, here is your assignment. It's a very specific thing he wanted Jehu to do. And so when he anoints us, when he gives us specific things to do, we receive all of it in its entirety. And we do that. We accomplish it. A few weeks ago, we looked at the life of Saul, where he was told by God to do certain things, but he did not do everything that was asked of him because he was afraid of people. And so doing some of what is told isn't the right thing. We receive it in its entirety. We receive it in its fullness. We become carriers of his heart. We care about the minor details and the major points of emphasis. We care about all of it. And when we receive a word like that, then we become people who can be trusted for more things by heaven. We don't, we don't take the parts that we like and then discard the parts we don't like. We receive it all. We receive the fullness of what he is saying. And when we receive what he gives, like Elisha did when he received the mantle, and we give legs to the word, we also receive the grace, the provision, the gifts, and everything we need to accomplish it. So when I receive, when you receive the word fully, sincerely, and you say, I want to give legs to this, I want, to, I want this to become flesh in me, you will. Because, again, remember, this is the plan for the earth. When you say yes to this, you will receive the gifts, the grace, the resources, the vision, Whatever you need, you will get it. How can I say it confidently? Because, my goodness, this is his plan. He cares. If you care with him and partner with him, wow. That's what we are after. We want to partner with him in what he is doing. In Numbers chapter 13, again, you don't need to read it. Uh, in Numbers chapter 13, Here's the story. God says, Moses, this land of Canaan has been given to you. And because this land has been given to you, I need you to send spies into this land. See, it wasn't Moses' idea. God who said, this land belongs to you, the same God is saying, I want you to send spies into this land. And Moses turns to a bunch of guys and says, you guys need to go. Go through the south, up the mountains, go into the land, and I want you to look at the people. Are they small? Are they big? I want you to look at the land. Is it a good land or is it a bad land? I want you to, to look at forests. Are there enough forests? Are there not? I want to look at where they live. Are there strongholds? Are there camps? Is it a rich land or a poor land? 
This is exactly what Numbers 13 says. Go find out and then come back. So when we receive again a word and God says, delivering young men and women from nations into the kingdom, one of the things we got to do is understand the spiritual landscape of what is. Understand the spiritual landscape of what is, meaning how things are today. Because he is already saying how things will be tomorrow. It is important for us when we receive something to take it and look through the eyes of God. See, back in the day, they needed spice to enter into Canaan. We don't need spice. We need the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God who dwells in us, as it says in Acts, in Acts I think chapter 2 or 4, he gives us the ability to see and hear. So without going to anywhere, you can be here, you can be in your bedroom, you can be wherever you are. And when you are alert to the Spirit, the Spirit of God will show you. He will enable you to see things differently. He will enable you to hear things differently. So when you tune into the news and it says something, what is being said is one thing. What you are hearing is another thing. When you read... What you read is one thing, but what you understand is another thing. And for us to fully possess this promise from the Father, I'm telling you, that is the lifestyle we've got to have. That we hear and see based on what the Spirit of God is showing us, not based on anything else. So then, practically, when you look at young men and women, what do you see? What do we see when we look at young men and women? What do you see and hear when you hear news that says addiction and drugs? What do you see when you hear alcoholism? What do you see and hear when you hear teen pregnancy? What do you hear and see when you see these things and hear these things? It's important. You've got to hear and get and, and run with the heartbeat of heaven. So first things first, before we go in and take over, you've got to get the lay of the land as the Spirit shows you. You've got to see it that way. Because otherwise, you give in to your senses, which then pull you back, distract you. So see the spiritual landscape and hear Heaven's perspective. The second thing we need, and this requires training, because I know that it can't happen in a heartbeat. It's something we need to train ourselves in. The second thing we need to do is we've got to walk on earth with the awareness that we belong to another kingdom. We've got to walk on earth with the awareness that we do not belong here. We've got to walk on earth with the awareness that I belong to another kingdom. And I am here for a purpose. I am a kingdom carrier. And this, from my life, I can tell you, there are days when you're so aware about it, and then there are days where you're not aware of this. 
and immediately you find yourself in a barber shop. Okay. You find yourself in a barber shop and there's a bunch of guys all around you and you quickly realize they're, they're all like, you know, in their 20s. And it's easy to forget what heaven is showing you because you're in a barber shop. What do you expect to do there? Cut your hair and come out. But can you be there and be sensitive to see what is the Spirit saying? Can you be there and, be, and, and, and give ear to what he is speaking? Because this is the life. And this requires training. We've got, to, we've got to remind ourselves, I do not belong here. You do not belong here. You belong to another kingdom. And this kingdom is what we are part of. And because we are part of this kingdom, now when you go anywhere, talk with anyone, do anything... You do it from the place of, I belong to this kingdom. Are you tracking? Because it changes things, guys. It absolutely changes things. Our awareness of the kingdom we belong to changes the, the way our days and nights look. Practice it. If you're spouses, remind yourself, remind each other about this. If you're in your house church, remind each other. When you come together, remind each other, you do not belong here. You belong to another kingdom. When I say you do not belong here, what I am saying is you do not belong to this world. You belong to another kingdom and you're invading earth because the kingdom invades earth. So if you want to be a front runner in this, in what he is saying. And if you believe it. And if you, if you see. If you hear that. This is from God. And I want to be part of what he is doing. If you want to be a front runner. You've got to pull aside. And see and hear. And please do not discount. The things that will come out of you. For the benefit of others. When you do that. Because when you do that. There are others with you who desperately need you to speak, you to hear, you to see, because that which you have to speak and that which you see is beneficial for the mission that is at hand. And when I don't do it, God finds a Jane, because Jane can do it. So when we don't do it, there is someone else who God will use, because this never stops. The plan never stops. The plan will be accomplished. It's a question more so of, are we fully in it or not? Jesus said in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. In John chapter 17, he says, I have given them thy word. He says to the Father, and the world hath hated them. Obviously, I, I have this from KJV. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They are not of this world. We are not of this world. Walk in the awareness of this, guys. It changes our lives. Sundays are easy because we are surrounded by each other. This matters most when you're at work, when you drive into the grocery store, when you just want to take a break. This matters then. More than now. So train yourself. 
may the words kingdom man kingdom kingdom woman ring in your ears may it ring may it ring in your ears i'm a kingdom man i'm a kingdom woman i don't belong here i belong to another kingdom i am here because i've been sent and i have a mission i have been sent with a purpose may those words ring in your ears i want us to look at the book of exodus today we'll talk about a couple of things first let's read exodus chapter 3 verse 8 Exodus chapter 3 verse 8 Let me ask you this Does this excite you Oh not me sorry <laughs> This <laughs> Does this excite you Yeah Man it should excite us it should truly excite us what a privilege it is for us to work with him for him to reveal his plans to us and say this is what i care about do you care about the same things i care about let's read exodus chapter 3 verse 8 and i have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey exodus chapter 3 verse 8 and i have come down says god to moses to deliver them out of the land of the egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey after god says this In Exodus chapter 3, a few verses down, 13 and 14, Moses engages in a conversation with God. And Moses says, you know what, It's all, it, it sounds kind of good, but I have to now go to Pharaoh, I have to now go to the Israelites, I have no idea how they're going to respond and react to what you're saying, I need to know your name. And God says, my name is I am who I am. God says, It doesn't matter who is asking. It doesn't matter what the need is. I am the creator. I am the one who is the self-existent one. There is nothing outside of me. So whatever your question is, I am the answer. Whatever the need is, I am the one who will meet those needs. I am who I am. I am not limited by one thing. I am who I am. And so as we read through the Bible there are different word names of God not one word defines him it's just an attribute of him because he is I am who I am So then think about it this way when God says my name is Jehovah Nissi when he says my name is Jehovah Rapha Surely there is no healing required in heaven. Healing is only needed on earth. So then the names of God are names given for us to inherit his promises. Because when he says I am Jehovah Shamma, 
there is no need for peace in heaven. Peace is already there. Heaven is peaceful. When he says, Jehovah Rapha, there is no healing required because there is no sickness in heaven. But sickness exists on earth. And only a few days ago, I found out because I was preparing for this, there is a name of God that we need to understand. And that name means the God who delivers. Jehovah Melfati. M-E-L-P-H-A-T-I. Jehovah Melfati. M-E-L-P-H-A-T-I. The God who delivers. So similarly, as I said before, there is no deliverance needed in heaven because heaven has freedom. The name is given for us to inherit his nature, his promises. So whenever in the Bible you see names of God and people calling him with specific names, it is us saying, this is who you are. I want to inherit the blessings, the promises, all of the inheritance of this name. I want to appropriate it. That is why the name is important. So I want us to remember this name. Jehovah Melfati. The reason being, he is and always has been a God who delivers. From the foundations of earth, he has been delivering. Story after story, it reveals his nature, his character, he saves. To a point, his son is the savior. He saves, he delivers. Our Father delivers. Our Father saves. He is Jehovah Melfari. I may be pronouncing it wrong, but that doesn't matter. The name is He saves. He delivers. And knowing this name is important because when you know His name, you can stand on His nature. This is his nature. One of the things that we need to stand on is this nature of his in that he always delivers. He always saves. We haven't even looked at the New Testament yet because in the New Testament, this is revealed very clearly with what Jesus does. His blood rescues. His blood cleanses us. His blood saves us. But I want you guys to think about this. It is the nature of God to always deliver. It is in his nature to save. He finds something in trouble or someone in trouble, he goes, saves. That's his nature. It is innately part of who he is. He saves. He rescues. He delivers. And when I think of that this way, when I'm so, why is it that we have no trouble believing forgiveness for ourselves? There's no, I, I don't think there's anyone here who has any problem believing that we are forgiven. We are so confident. So confident about the fact that I'm forgiven, that you're forgiven. So confident. We've got to have the same confidence about him saving and delivering. We'll talk about it a little bit more. But this is who he is. So his, 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 
assignment or his mission to us that, hey, I want to deliver young men and women from nations into the kingdom, he is not asking us to do something he has never done before. He is asking us to do something with him that he has always done. Because this is who he is. He delivers. Jehovah Melfati. He delivers. He saves. He rescues. So before I even look at the outside world, he saves me. He delivers me. This is why Psalm 18, 2, David writes, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. In Psalm 40, verse 17, what is David really got a hang of it. You go through the Bible, David writes about this over and over again, that he's a deliverer. Psalm 40, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O God. Psalm 70, verse 5, for, but I am poor and needy, hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So when you carry his name, you become the manifested inheritance of God to others. When I carry his name, when I know him, when I carry his name, when I carry his nature, when I carry his heart, when I carry who he is, his presence, because he is by nature deliverer, I become someone who can manifest his nature of deliverance to others around me. Just some other things for us Christians, regardless of how many years we have been born again, it's so easy for us to believe. And I want us... Because in the church, I'm not talking about Acts 29, if you look at Christianity, certain things are reserved for certain people. And what we are saying is, this is our Father, this is for all of us. There is no need for deliverance ministries when his sons and daughters walk like this. Because this is who he is. So I, I want to inherit everything he is. I want to have everything he has for me. Why would I say yes to this but no to that? I want all of it. And he'll teach us, he'll train us. That's the fun bit. We'll make mistakes just to learn. And we'll go at it again. But this is who he is. And so may there be, and, and the Holy Spirit will do it if you desire it, may there be such a conviction deep down in your heart that cannot be shaken by anyone or anything that my God is a deliverer. That he is a deliverer. That he delivers. He delivers me, he delivers others around me.
So if you look at, because we touched on Exodus and Egypt, if you look at Egypt, there is, there is Pharaoh, there is Israelites, this guy is an evil tyrant, an oppressor. Israelites, God refers to them and says, my people, my people. We've got to hear what he says about the world as well. My people. And in Exodus, it says, God heard their cries. And their groanings. So in the, in the world today, if you read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, there is an evil oppressor. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Evil tyrant and oppressor. The book of Exodus is but a shadow of what's happening. There is an evil tyrant, oppressor, prince of the power of air. And the sons of disobedience follow him, are bound by him. And if God rescued out Israelites out of Egypt, away from this tyrant, he is saving my people, which is everyone on earth, because his blood was shed for everyone. His blood was shed to cleanse, to save everyone. And again, this is where I am really interested in us seeing people when we go out and having this in our mind. I'm really not interested in us thinking my people and getting it in our head somewhere, but when we live it, it hasn't come here. His people. His people, the sons of disobedience, they are paid already for by him. They just don't know it. Well, if the Israelites, they, they cried and groaned, the truth here is that many don't. Many don't cry. Many don't groan because they don't know. Some cry and some groan. There are many people. One of the things I've learned from Wally is this has become more real to me. Because I see people, some, many don't know that they need a savior, but some desperately do. Some desperately cry. Some are just waiting for someone to come. Many don't. Some do. And it says again in Exodus that God heard their cries and their groanings. And today, the Father hears their cries and their groanings. And again in 
in the book of Exodus, God reminds of a promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he repeatedly talks about this with, to Moses and says, Moses, I made a covenant and everything that I promised I'll bring to pass. We've got to see this narrative, this promise, this assignment in the light of this. That in this world, he is sending us because they are his people, young men and women with an emphasis on them. Many of them don't know him. Many of them don't even, because they don't know him, they don't cry, they don't groan because they think it's all good. And some do. Some are bound. Some know there is something wrong. Some know there is something that needs change. Some know that they are being assaulted. Some cry, some groan. And he sends us there. For God heard, well, he, he, he hears still. No, he hears. He sees, he hears. And there was a promise made to Abraham. And that promise through Christ has been extended to everyone. That he will deliver. That he will make things new. I like the fact that we become part of his story so easily. And you've got to, I don't know, you've got to, you've got to receive it with that mentality that, Father, this is just who you are and I'll give my life to this. Because the different things we'll do will be different. We won't all be doing the same stuff. Because we are all built differently, made differently for different things. If I try to do what Jeremy tries, what Jeremy does, I have been given what he has given me. I have to stay on my path and work towards that direction with him. So it becomes so much beautiful because there are so many colors. There are so many different types of fabric. There are so many stories. There are so many interconnections. Uh, we don't even see, but he takes pleasure in. I really love it. I, 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 I like going into rooms, going into places, thinking, how is, how is he seeing this? Because there are so many threads being connected together here that I don't even see. But my goodness, when he sees it, his heart leaps. Because he's been trying to do all of these things together. There's a book, The Grand Weaver. He, 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 he puts everything together. So please see it this way. That in this world, we are of a different kingdom. And all of them are his people. There is an emphasis on the young men and women. Many don't, many don't know him. They don't cry. They don't groan. But he hears their cries. Let's move on to the next one. In the same story, once Moses is told that he wants, that God wants Moses to go and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses raises concerns and says, you know, how will they believe? What will happen? And God asks this question. What is in your hand? He asks this question, what is in your hand? And Moses says, I've got a staff in my hand. We know the story, so we don't need to spend too much time there. 
But the question is important. What is in your hand? God obviously knows what is in his hand. He just wants Moses to tell him what is in his hand. And Moses responds by saying, I'm a shepherd. I've got the shepherd's staff. When God asks us, with regards to what we are hearing, what is in your hand, sometimes we can look at what happened in the past, we can look at our failings, because Moses had a lot of failings. Moses had a past that wasn't perfect. When he came out of Egypt, he still had Egypt left in him. Which is why, over a period of time, he, God removed Egypt out of him. So when God asks us, what do you have in your hand? How do we respond? Really what Moses did is, Moses said, I have this staff. And God said, put it down, throw it down. When you throw it down, it becomes a serpent. Take it up by its tail, it becomes a staff again. Here is a sign, here is a wonder. You go with this, they will know that I sent you. And Moses tried to look at everything that happened in the past and he felt he was not ready. He was not good enough. And one of the things, guys, it's the same thing that happens with us today. We feel that we may not be the right people to do it. But that is exactly what the Father wants to address. That we are, in fact, exactly the right people to do it. Who is perfect in this room? We walk with him. We depend on him. We make mistakes. He still takes care of us. But the attempt to make us think that we can't do it comes from the devil. Because then you become important. You, 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 you cannot produce. You cannot reproduce. You have to. God has given you things. Now the best part, guys, is if he's asking the same question today, he will not ask you what is in your hand. He will ask you who is in you. The Old Testament question was what is in your hand? In the New Testament, for us, he will not ask that question, I guarantee you. He will ask one question. Who is in you? And if you respond to that question and say, the spirit of the living God, then you are ready for the task at hand. Who is in you? He who is greater than the one in the world. He who is greater than the one in the world. Jesus is greater. His spirit is greater than the prince of the power of the air. So the question that he asks us is not what is in your hand. He asks us, who is in you? Who is in you? All through the Old Testament, you see, you know, David could have said, I don't, I don't have what Saul is wearing there, you know. That guy has stuff on him, you know, the shield and all of that. I have five stones. 
the widow in Elisha's story, she, she had just a flask of oil. So all through the Old Testament, you see God asking the question because that question is important. Even in the New Testament, you see the question being asked of the boy, what do you have? Uh, he, if it was Dawn, you know, five fish or five loaves of bread and two fish, Dawn would have kept it all for himself to eat it. Wouldn't even have said it. I don't have anything. <laughs> I know you're watching online, just had to say it. I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything. What did you want? He was asked, and the boy said, Hi, I have, I have this. Doesn't make any sense. Why would this make sense? You know, this is for me. But the question is always important. The question is repeated all through the Bible. What is in your hand? And now I'm telling you, he won't ask you what is in your hand. Because it doesn't matter what is in your hand. What matters is who is in you. And who is in you? And the answer is the Spirit of God is in me. Which is why Jesus in Luke chapter 4 reads out, the Spirit of God has anointed me. Which is why Isaiah 61 says, the Spirit of God is upon me to bring good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. Keeps on going. So can we guys live like this? Which is why, you know, it's all interconnected. It's, uh, the stuff we are talking is all coming together. We've got to live a life where the Spirit of God has full control of our lives. That the flesh and the mind aligns with what the Spirit wants to do. We recognize the fullness of God in us. We recognize that He is full in us. And we live that way. When we do, we are being trained and things will happen. There is nothing else needed. We don't need to complicate anything. It's as simple as that. There is no need to, to make it harder. It's a simple message. And when you know who is in you, can you respond with, here I am. Then you've fully understood that it is not about you, that the Holy Spirit in you is able to do these things if you yield yourself to Him. Then you can say fully, here I am, because He will take control. He will take you to the places you need to go. It is important to state this. Your hurt, your disappointments, your victories, your freedom. The good, the bad, the ugly. He takes care of it. He takes care of it. Please understand. The attempt is always to make you feel like you can't do it. And that you are not able, to, that you will not be able to do it. And Jesus' response is always, who is in you? 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 So Israel's freedom was preceded by Moses giving what he had in his hands. 
Jesus did the same. He surrendered in obedience. Next. I want to touch on one more thing and we will begin to wrap up. So in Exodus chapter 3, same passage, same chapter again, verse 20, God says this to Moses. So I will stretch out my hand. See, see what it write, is written there? So I, God said, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So if you were to read through the entire story, you'll see the first plague, the second plague, the third plague. Moses just listens to God, does exactly what God says. No moving left or right from what he says. He does exactly the thing. First plague is done. Second plague is done. Third plague is done. By the time we get to the fourth plague, which is the, the hail, or sorry, the, the seventh plague, the hail, in verse 29, Pharaoh says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys go. Before he hardens his heart again, he says, I'm going to let you guys go. Moses does one thing differently by the time the seventh plague comes. And it is important for us to note that. What, is, what he does is God had already said, as I read out in chapter 3, that he will stretch out his hands. And when God stretches out his hands, things will happen on earth. After the first six plagues, when it gets to the seventh plague, once the plague hits and the plague has to be stopped, Moses, for the first time, does not go to God and pray, can you stop the plague? He, for the first time, tells Pharaoh, once I am out of here, I will stretch my hand and the plague will stop. It is important because we've got to realize that Jehovah... He is in us. That his spirit is in us. And that what God actually expects of you and I is not to pray, hey, Father, can you do it? Because it is his nature and this is who he is. He would like me and you to stretch out our hands to accomplish that he wants to accomplish. Moses got it by the seventh time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see a pattern. Whenever I do this here, he does this there. Which is why Jesus said, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So you and I have to then look at this and go, he has actually given me the responsibility to lose and to bind. I'm not asking him, can you lose and can you bind? He said, you go and lose. You go and bind. So all that is required then is for me to know that his spirit lives inside me. That his, it is his fullness and that he has commissioned me already. He has given me all the authority to already do the things that he wants me to do. So it's not a power. Prayer is not the answer to this. Prayer is part of our intimacy with him. It is part of our lifestyle with him. We somehow think that is the answer to what he is saying. The answer to the problem is you stretch out your hand. Knowing who is inside you. 
We are image bearers. And then the word image bearers make even more sense. We are image bearers. And I want to give us a, I want to give us a new name. We are name manifestors. Meaning, his, his, the nature, his nature, we manifest here on earth. His nature, we manifest here on earth. And can we then walk the streets? Can we then walk the streets actually believing fully that as I walk, he is in me, and as I bind, things will be bound, that I lose, as I lose, things will be loosed. That, it doesn't happen just like that. We have to train ourselves in it day in, day out. And we grow in it, we mature in it more and more. And then it just becomes part of who we are, which is why when I started it, I started by saying, remember the stuff we have learned over six, seven years ago? It's so much become part of our lives. This will be, if we receive it, this will be so much part of our lives. We don't have to complicate it. It's simple. It's our father's inheritance for us. In one of my favorite passages, Mark chapter 16, It's beautifully written there. And what are the three things that... Let's just summarize it, it as three things. <clears throat> when we talk about young men and women from nations being delivered, delivered from sin, delivered from sickness, delivered from bondage. We can make it more, but... For now, let's put it all together. Who? Delivered from sin. The gospel. Preach the gospel. Sickness. He has already sent a healing word. We speak. He has already taken the penalty for our sickness. Bondage. Mark chapter 16. The cause of it. You bind it. You cast out demons. You cast out whatever problem, whatever the root causes, you bind it. So then, when it comes to sin and sickness and bondage, we have the answer. Mark chapter 16. Just read it and there lies the answer. I want us to just look at one more thing and then Brandon will lead us in communion. Oftentimes when we repeat the words or verse in the Bible, let my people go, we stop there. Let my people go. But actually when you read it over and over again, it doesn't stop with let my people go. It says let my people go that they may serve me. And from nations into the kingdom. The idea is not to stop with a bondage being broken. The idea is not your, one sickness just being healed. 
the idea is that that then becomes a pathway for them to step into the kingdom by saying, I need this king and this kingdom. One of the things that we've been talking about is the gospel. We've got to, we've got to live it. We've got to speak it in our conversations. And then we're prepared. We're not using big words. The gospel is simple words for simple people. When it comes to sickness, we have a father who heals. When it comes to bondage, we have a father who delivers. So who is in you? Who is in you? Can we walk in the awareness of who is in us? Can we believe that because of who is in us, we become his feet on earth, his hands on earth? Can you, can you, can you use your tongue and your mouth in a way that you care about what comes out of it to a point where you stop speaking certain words and certain ways of speaking because you want your mouth to be his mouthpiece. Because you care. Can you do that? Can you order your steps in such a way that your legs will never enter those rooms? Can you look at your hands and say, these hands are meant to serve him and serve him only. Can you think about your mind and say, and talk to your mind and say, mind, be conformed to the image of my Savior. Can you then walk the streets, go to work, go to UBC, Sam, with the mind of Christ, knowing fully well that the Spirit of God is inside you, fully inside you, that you're different from every other person in the room. That when you speak, things happen. That in the room are others who are depressed and anxious. You have the answer for their depression and anxiety. That when you speak, because all that David needed to do was play his instrument. As soon as David played his instrument, things happened. That it's not about big words. It's not about anything else but saying, Jesus, I am yours. You have all of me. I will walk in. I will trust in you. And I'm going to give my life to you for this. Let's live like this. Brandon, do you want to come up? So this might be a little bit weird. I'm at this place um, in talking where I'm comfortable uh, going without a script, but I'm still making a script. So I might say things and then repeat it from the script. Uh, I'm going to start by reading from Luke 22, uh, 19 to 20, which is where Jesus um, uh, does the first communion. 
And then he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so focusing on the do this in remembrance of me, we're going to read John 2, uh, 13 to 22. So this is the point where Jesus cleanses the temple. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip out of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, and in this case the Jews is specifically the religious leaders, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The religious leaders then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, he was raised from the dead. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So one of the things that we are supposed to remember um, when we do communion Um, is that communion, one of the things communion is to do is to keep us from religiosity. Um, It's to be a regular reminder um, to purge religious traditions and trappings from our lives and um, from us as a corporate body. Um, That when one of the things that Jesus did was in, when he went into the temple there, was that those money changes and things had become a traditional part of what went on in the temple as part of the religion versus part of following God. And Jesus threw that out. Um, And so in remembering him and what he did, that is one of the things that we are um, to remember. So when we do communion, we need to approach it every time as a fresh conversation with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that every time that we partake in it, so that it in itself doesn't become a religious tradition. Because if communion itself becomes a religious tradition, then it's no longer one of the things that will keep us from falling into other religious traditions. Um, So don't just partake in communion because it's something that we do. We have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe and The son's death on the cross is the reason that we have that relationship. Um, So as we partake, just remember that and remember that this isn't just something that we do, that this is the reason that we have that relationship with God. So if you guys want to come pass out the bread and the juice and then we'll pray and partake as a group.
Okay, so we don't just partake in communion because it's something that we do. We have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe and the sons, the son of God's death on the cross is the reason that we have this relationship. And so we do this to remember what he did and who he was when he lived on this earth. So Father God, thank you for sending your son um, so that we can, can speak with you face to face. Um, and Jesus, that son, thank you for coming willingly. Thank you for volunteering. Thank you for, for going of your own volition and making this choice to come to live in among us and to show us who God is through your life and through your death. Um, and that, that for being that perfect sacrifice that allows us to have this relationship. Again, thank you. Amen. feel we need to respond to that, the message, and um, you have to know that by this message today, there was an old wineskin that was broken today. There is an old wineskin that was broken today, that even though it's not a new thing, we know that God is in us. We know that it's not about what we have in our hands, and these are not new things to us, but there is something about today you have to know, we need to know that it was broken today. There is an old wine skin, old thinking that was broken today. It is done. It was done. And so that's why I feel like we need to respond, not to let it go, because we need to start speaking it, singing in that, walking in that, so that we don't leave the same way we came in because we can't, we can't afford to do that. God, let us be a generation that sees, seeks your face, oh God, Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that sees,
something has been broken. New old wineskin has been cracked. He cracked it for us today. And we get to go out. He's going to pour new wine this week. He's going to pour new wine this week. So bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>